It is my privilege right now to introduce, she needs no introduction. I mean, you know Sue, right? She's up here usually doing announcements. I'll let you shift. Um, our dismissing kids, head of our children's ministry, and we just appreciate her so much. In fact, can we give her a clap? Uh, just show how much we appreciate her. Thank you. She is such a delight. And we get to, she's going to give us the message this morning, so let's pray for her. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for Sue and for her hard work and dedication, and uh, most importantly, for her love for you, Lord, and love for our children and others. And we just pray for a blessing on her, Lord. Um, give us ears to hear the message that you have laid on her heart, Lord, and uh, we just bless I uh, pray that you bless her as she speaks to us this morning, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Dave. Good morning, everybody. Well, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Those might be familiar to you. They come from an old hymn written by Augustus Toplady. And he wrote that. In the midst, well, story or legend goes that he wrote that in the midst of a storm. And in the midst of that storm, he hid in a gorge in Burrington Combe in England. And that is where these original lyrics are supposed to come from. Now, some dispute that, but to make it, you know, a little bit more sure, there is a plaque actually attached to the rock in Burrington Combe, and it says, Rock of Ages, and that it was written by Augustus Toplady during the midst of a storm. And the rock looks like this up here. That is it. And the plaque is way down. Yeah, it's way down at the bottom. You might be able to see it. So it's I am going to speak today about the Rock of Ages. And we have spent a wonderful summer hearing about all the names of God from various leaders uh, while Andrew is on sabbatical. And it's just been a thrill to hear so many different aspects of God. God our healer, God our provider, God our sanctifier, God of holiness, God who is good. There are just so many aspects that we have just begun to touch on, and we're already through with, almost through with this series. And so if you have missed out on any of those messages, I just want to encourage you that you can check those out on our website under the media tab, and it will take you right there to Rock of Ages, the series. And, or if you would like to look those up on Facebook or on YouTube, you can check those out and maybe share that with somebody that just needs that encouragement from one of those messages. But today, we talk about Yahweh Suri. Yahweh Suri is Hebrew, for the Lord is my rock. The word rock epitomizes God's enduring faithfulness when the storms of life come, storming all around you, 
we get to remember Yahweh's Suri. And that means that we don't need to be shaken because God is immovable, he's unbreakable, and he's our safe place. He's our fortress in a battle. He's our true source of strength in what can be kind of a shaky world. He is our foundation. He is our support. He is our defense. In any time, he is our rock. He is the rock of ages that is firm for each one of us to stand upon. There's lots of imagery in the, throughout the scriptures that describe God, as we have talked about throughout the series. And rock is a common one. First Peter calls Jesus the cornerstone, and we are grafted as children of God into that rock. And I love that imagery. I love how it's solid and it's eternal and it doesn't move and it's not shaken. And, um, and we can trust in a Jesus and are able to weather so much more because we are attached and strengthened by that rock. No matter how unstable or how unsteady, or how not constant the world may seem to you or to me, there is a rock to stand on, a structure that we can count on and that we don't have to fear because of that rock. Now, when you think of a rock, you might have some images that come to mind. This rock is the image that came to my mind. El Capitan. That's a big old hunk of granite. Really, really big. And it's an iconic landmark in Yosemite National Park. It's 3,600 feet straight up in the sky. And it is a mile and a half wide. That's the kind of rock I think of. That's the kind of rock that needs to be in my life. <laughs> That's the kind of rock that probably could only handle my life. Um, or me, for that matter. And what's so fascinating about God being a rock in our life is that he is all of those things. He is hard, and he is massive, and he's tough, and he's durable, and yet... He is tenderness and mercy and compassion. It's the dichotomy of a rock. And we're going to explore that today. Well, I want to explore God in those, in those moments of needing strength and protection and a foundation. But it's the end of the sermon that gets me really excited. So stay with me, okay? Because I have something so exciting at the end. So, Psalm 71, verses 1 through 3. I want to read those. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. 
Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and you are my fortress. Psalm 71 verses 1 through 3. The first thing I want to point out is that he is our refuge and safety. The word refuge can also mean to put your trust in. So some translations will read it as, You, Lord, I put my trust. In this place, God is, we can picture God as that place that we can go to in safety. A place where we can always put our trust. And it's wonderful to know that it is in God's presence that we have a safe place. We can tr- you can trust God with your fears, with your concerns, with your anxieties, and all the emotions that go with that. They are all safe in him. And since God is also the one who can be trusted, this means that you never have to hide anything from him. If you're ever feeling overwhelmed or threatened, you can run to that rock. And it can be your safe place. The other good thing about a a refuge is it's a place to rest. I don't know about you, but I tend to get stirred up and stirred up and worried about things. And it's only in those moments that I can go directly to my God, who is my rock, and confess those things and speak those things out that I can truly find a place of rest. We can do that in any season and through any time. I kind of wanted to give you a personal illustration. Um, When I first moved to Nevada, I moved from Chicago, and so Nevada is where I became an outdoors girl. And so we, um, early on, took an adventure rafting down the Truckee River. Now, that's how it's supposed to look in the spring after a really good storm, or a good winter. So it's when it's really wet, and in the spring, that's what the Truckee um, looks like. And um, those rapids can get a little bit intense for a girl from Chicago. But I was a very young girl from Chicago with a lot of young friends. And so we were college age and decided we're going to just raft. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to raft on the Truckee. And so we came up to our, our, our place where we meet and we're carrying air mattresses. And I was wearing flip-flops. No helmet, no oars, but hey, what fun! We're gonna get in this river and we are gonna go. What an adventure. Yes, it was an adventure. Um, And in the midst of that river, I am trying desperately to avoid any rocks because there are rocks in the Truckee River. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to maneuver. I'm going to paddle like this and get around those rocks. Well, you hit a rapid that you cannot get around. And guess where you're headed? Right into a rock. That's what happened. Headed right into the rock. I grabbed hold of that rock for dear life. My flip-flops were gone. My husband is over down the river. And there went my air mattress right down the, down the way. And I was, uh, there was nothing to do but to grab on to this rock until somebody could come and rescue me. Yes. I never went rafting on the truck. Oh, that's not true. I did go rafting on the truckie later on, but in an actual raft with a helmet and oars and shoes that actually stay on your feet. But sometimes, guys, that is my life. I am like, I just go, sure, I can do this. I can get into that river. No problem. But I'm not always ready for the adventure. And because I'm not always ready for the adventure, I try to avoid the rock. Because I should have been ready. But God says, I am your rock. I am your safe place. I am the place that you can rest. And so avoiding it is kind of foolish. When he says that that is where we can stay. We can hide in that cleft. And he will be our protection. So number two... God is my rock of protection. As a protector, that means that he's not only going to fight for you, he's going to watch over you. Now, his protection does not give us license to be foolish, like going on the trekkie with flip-flops. But it does give us an assurance that he is always there with us. When you walk in God's will, And in God's ways, he is your protection. And he's so merciful that even when we fall out of those places, he is our protection because he doesn't change. That also brings up the issue of trust. Not only is he a physical protector, but... That means we can trust him with ourselves. We can trust that he will never put us to shame. He will protect our reputation. This means that you don't always have to worry about defending yourself or defending your position. I have been so grateful for people that have reminded me of that in my life. I don't always have to be on the defense. Because I have a rock that is my defender and my protector. David understood this very well. In Psalm 18, 1 through 3, he says, 
I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. David understood. He know, he is aware, or he, we can assume, that he was well aware of his failings and his sinfulness. And yet he knows, or knew, that God was his rock. The song that is recorded in Psalm 18 is also recorded almost entirely in Psalm 22, or not Psalm, 2 Samuel 22. I got that backwards. 2 Samuel 22, David wrote this song that is one of the longest psalms in the Bible. And he recorded that, or he sang that song after he had been, or he'd been victoriously protected from Saul. Saul who had chased him, Saul who had once been his mentor and had turned on him, he then, David, had to run from Saul and records this long song. And it's so important, obviously, that not only does it get recorded in 2 Samuel 22, but then it gets recorded again in Psalm 18. And I just chose those first three verses because of how it references the rock. David, aware of his sinfulness, but knew his foundation and his protection were completely dependent on God. And that's the same for each one of us. We're aware of our humanness, or at least we should be. We're aware of our sinfulness and our weaknesses, or at least we should be. But we're aware that God is bigger. He is massive. He is the rock. The very foundation of our lives should be built on God, the rock. Doesn't need to be built on anything less. Doesn't need to be built on anything else if we have a foundation in the rock. That word rock, as David sometimes writes it, can be referred to as a craggy cliff. So David reminds us that when the world is spinning out of control, the believer can stand above it all, that God allows his people to live through trials and turmoil, and that it doesn't engulf us because of our relationship with God. And that's where I get to the good parts. In Psalm 81, there is a treasure of a verse that I'm going to save for the end. But Psalm 81, let me just tell you a little bit about it, is about the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Now the Feast of Tabernacles was the annual time in which Israel remembered their wanderings in the wilderness. You know those 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness. And annually, through the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites remind themselves of what happened in that wilderness. The wilderness is a pretty important theme in the Bible. It's not just because of the 40 years that the Israelites were there, but wilderness is brought up in the New Testament, a voice crying from the wilderness, John the Baptist. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Hebrews 3 and 4 refer to our lives and what it can be coming out of the wilderness. So what do you guys think about when you think of wilderness? I have a tendency, being from Nevada, to think about the Sierras. They're kind of pretty. Um, And so when I think about the wilderness, I think pretty, usually. But that is not what the Bible is referring to. When the Bible refers to the wilderness, it's a desert. That's important for us to remember. Because the characteristic of the desert is that it cannot support life. It cannot sustain life. You can't grow enough food to live there. You can't catch enough fish or anything else to provide the food to live there. And so when the Israelites moved through the deserts, they didn't, they didn't all die because of this miraculous intervention of God. By definition, the desert cannot support human life. Just as the desert cannot support our spiritual life. We may try, but the world cannot ever meet our deepest longings. The world can never meet our deepest needs. The world can never meet the deepest desires of our heart because the world is a wilderness. Now, for most of us, the wilderness experience can be when things that we've really counted on dry up and go away. Maybe your health goes, or a relationship goes, or your career goes, or your money goes. Something that is important to you or to me goes away, and we immediately find ourselves going, why did that happen? Why did God allow that? Now, the question itself is not so bad. And we're allowed to ask questions because, hey, God's a rock. So you can pound on him with those questions. And it's not going to change him. But sometimes what happens with that thought is we allow it to grow into bitterness. 
And we allow it to spin in a way that is not spiritually healthy for us. Because, again, going back, we have to be able to trust in God, who is our rock. So you might find yourself as having gone through a wilderness experience. You may have already touched on, yep, life is a wilderness. Or you may disagree with me and go, hey, I'm living my best life here. You don't know what you're talking about. I just want to bring up the second law of thermodynamics. Second law of thermodynamics says, everything is falling apart. Look at ourselves. The people of Israel would have perished if God had not intervened. Because everything falls apart. We cannot have our deepest needs met without God. And there's lots and lots of good things in the world. I am right there with you. Yes, there are lots of good things. But I do know this. That in a moment, good things can go away. They can change. God's the only one that does not. And that is why we need God in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of our lives, so that when things change, we don't become wanderers in the desert. Here is the good part. It is found in Psalm 81.16. Are you ready? But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Guys, I didn't know you could get honey from the rock. I know about water from the rock. But there is a rock in the wilderness and it gives you honey. How cool is that? So even though we might be living a life that can have all sorts of good things in it, but not be sustained by that, we know that there is a rock in the wilderness. In the wilderness, we meet God. The wilderness times are not just those times that we are meant to just endure or to get through or to even just get mad at God. The wilderness is where we can meet God. Those wilderness experiences can be the best places and times for you and I to really meet God. Think about it. Moses recorded, he's the first one to record that God is my rock. 
He knew about God. He believed in God. But where did he meet God face to face? In the wilderness. Where did Elijah have the experience of the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice? In the wilderness. He was depressed. And where did he meet God? The New Testament says that Jesus went away to pray and it was in the wilderness. John the Baptist said, come into the wilderness to repent and be baptized. See, there's a part of us, there's simple human nature where we can go through life, believe in God, we can pray to God, we can tell others about God. But I think it's in the wilderness that God becomes our rock. It's in the wilderness, when you're in that desert time, that you will run to God for shelter, just like they did in the wilderness. I think that can be kind of a downer, right? But I think that there's so much truth in that that it's something that should bring us hope. Because it's not, it's in the wilderness where God maybe is not just this abstraction. But it's in the wilderness that God is so very real. You know, those face-to-face times. Those times where, like me, you cling to the rock. You hold tight. You hide in a crag and be sheltered. I know in my life that it is those times of wilderness and those times where life that is good changes on a dime. And I have needed to cling to a rock. At family camp, my friend Crystal was asked, what are your, what's your favorite attribute about God? And she was like, do I only have to choose one? Um, And she thought for a minute, and she said, faithful, tangible, and real. And I was sitting there, and I went, yep, that pretty much describes a rock. And and I just loved how she, she described God in that moment. When you go through those rough and painful times, God says, make me your rock in the wilderness because all other rocks will crumble. I will meet you there. In the wilderness, you find the rock. In the wilderness, he will be a rock. 
in the wilderness, you have safety, protection, and a foundation. And you don't just have to grin and bear wilderness times and hope that they're going to go away. Because you don't just get sustenance and strength. Psalm 81.16 says, you get honey. How cool is that? So you might have this rock. You might be in this wilderness and you might go, oh, I see the rock. And head right toward it because you know what you're going to get from it. But God says, no, I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you honey. I'm going to give you sweetness. So out of the most unpromising situation, I can bring something good. Out of the most rocky times, God says, I can bring love and joy and sweetness. And if you come to me in times of trouble, I won't just give you the strength to hold on, but I'm going to bring you out of those bad times into something sweet and joyful and beautiful. Now, that sounds a lot like Romans 8.28, which is also true. And we know that all things in God work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to be careful with that verse and with this concept. Because I think we might misunderstand that Yes, we know that all things can work together. That doesn't mean all things individually are good. The bigger picture is that God is good. And that there is sweetness that comes out of a situation if we are able to go to him. And so... I don't want you to just land on the superficial idea that, okay, doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter that there's sickness in my family because God's going to work it together for good. Let's not just land on that superficial part. God says that he's going to work all things together for our good. And we might not know what our good is in the midst of that. We have to trust in the rock. I got to be honest. That's hard. I don't always like those things that are not good. I don't always like what God will do to work things together for my good. But I do like to be sweet. I do like the idea of joy and beauty and love to be encompassed in my being. I love the fruit of the Spirit. And I know that all of those things cannot grow if I don't experience some wilderness. 
if I don't experience some challenges. God will bring goodness out of something that is unpromising. He can bring sweetness instead of bitterness. Doesn't mean that it's always going to be the result that we're thinking of. Because we're not God. But the scripture does say that he will give us honey from the rock. Now, I get to share with you a story. Um, I experienced some wilderness in um, my family uh, of origin, the family that I was born into. Um, I uh, ran away from home. Um, my father had already abandoned the family um, and left uh, the four kids with um, a mother that was not uh, was not able to uh, endure life. Um, she would prefer to live in the desert. And um, at a certain point, I I just I couldn't I just couldn't stay there any longer. Oh no! Could somebody shut off my phone? Um, and so, because I couldn't stay there any longer, um, and because some of what we endured in the household I thought would be better for my siblings if I wasn't there, because um, often I was a target for her, uh, her bitterness in life. And so, I ran away and um, had some very generous people that were looking out for me um, and some that really tried to step in and bring about reconciliation. Um, but that is not what my mom wanted. And so while I would try and attempt at reconciliation, she would um, be cruel in her response. And so I felt like at, after I was married and after our, um, we started our family, I felt like I couldn't keep going through that cycle over and over again. Couldn't keep going through rejection and mourning and um, acceptance and then build up the courage to try it again. And so I, um, I made the decision that I wasn't going to keep knocking on that door. But in the midst of it, I am a Christian that is learning to walk in the ways of the Lord and knowing that I need to, I need to forgive. And what am I going to do about honoring my mother and father and all of those tensions um, and so I had to go through lots and lots of different prayer. In fact, 
at one point, I was in a, at an inner healing conference and, again, going to the altar and making sure that I was walking in forgiveness. And I remember saying to God, aren't I done yet? I, um, everybody else has worked through forgiveness. What's taking me so long? Um, and that's, that's not, that was not God's response. That was me. And, um, and so uh, I continued to live life without a mother in my life. Um, so went through having children um, and getting married, having my husband die, continuing to raise children, and not ever having a mom. Although I have, I have spiritual moms that have, have been more than, more than a blessing. But I didn't have that. And so it's a wilderness experience. And then I started teaching kids. And, um, and like every Mother's Day, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> what am I, how do I keep addressing that and being authentic and real? And... Um, and wanting them to continue, I want them to honor their mother and father. And so that was important that I try to live that out. And also try and continue to walk in forgiveness. Because I didn't want to be bitter. I didn't want that wilderness piece of my life to take control. Um, it was in 2000. 18, that through a set of circumstances, um, I had to contact my mom. I had contacted her um, a couple of times ahead of that, but um, on the phone. But this time I had to like really engage in a relationship. <clears throat> and um, and I, I, I said, okay, God, I said that if there was an if there was ever an opportunity that um, you needed me to um, engage and walk out forgiveness, then I was gonna be ready. And so um, the circumstances did not look at all like I thought they would look like. My mother to this day does not acknowledge anything. Uh, truthful about the past. She just is not capable of it. To this day, she has no relationship with um, any of her grandchildren. And she says, quite often to me, she's just happy with her small little world. To this day, she has never asked for forgiveness. But I needed to forgive. I needed to be the one that would walk in forgiveness. So, three weeks ago, after not ever sitting across from my mother, uh, I invited her to lunch when I was in Chicago. And we had lunch together.
for the first time since I ran away. Now, thank you for that. That forgiveness story looks nothing like I thought it was going to look like. But here's what I discovered. Because of the rock in my life, because I was able to stand upon that rock, that even in the wilderness, I knew where to go. Each and every time I would experience the rejection and the pain, each and every time that I'm on the phone and she just ignores all of the things that brought pain to our lives, I know I have a rock. And because of that, I am able to draw honey from the rock. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to any one of you. There is honey in the rock. In any wilderness experience that you come across, in any time where you feel like you're in a desert, I promise you that if you will hold on to the rock, you will get more than sustenance. You will get the sweetness, the love, the joy, and the beauty that comes from the rock. And so, I'm going to ask the prayer partners if they'll just come forward. And I have the rock on the screen. And as I pray, I just want you to maybe focus on the rock. God, you are my rock. No matter the storms, no matter the wilderness, no matter the shaking, you are the rock. How grateful I am that I and all of my friends here can run to the rock at any point because you will sustain us, you will protect us, and you will give us honey from the rock. God, I would pray that we would not be stuck in a wilderness, that we would not allow ourselves to just settle there. But God, that we would want so much more. So strengthen anyone that would be in hearing distance. Strengthen that person 
Give that person the courage to run to you. Give that person the protection that he or she might need. And God, we will just give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I pray that we will see you again next week, 10 a.m. here in the house or on the stream. Be blessed as you go.